So we welcome you to part five. You should be on page 20 in your notebooks. And we are here in part five, working through the book, The Song of Solomon. And in particular, we're looking here this morning at The Art of Dating, part two. So we're really learning just three keys to successful dating. That's what we're talking about. Now, you recall that the book, The Song of Solomon, is about one couple. And there's eight chapters, and there's actually eight romantic scenes throughout the book. Solomon wrote the book, but he wrote it uh, after he was married. And he's looking back on his relationship, and he's recounting for us the various stages that he and the Shulamite experienced together. And uh, scene number one was in chapter one, verses one to eight, and that's all about their attraction. And then scene number two in chapter one, verse nine through chapter two, verse seven, that's all about their dating life. And so right now we're diving into their dating life. Last Sunday, I made a statement that by the age of 16 of most people, uh, teenagers at that age, they're virtual experts when it comes to the intricacies and dangers and details of how to operate their cell phone, their computer, their whizzes. And yet often they remain in the dark when it comes to just the intricacies, dangers, and details of being able to date. It's just something that it's not like you receive necessarily training in that area. The Song of Solomon gives us some amazing insight. Uh, they didn't have a traditionally arranged marriage as most relationships back then in the Middle East had. They actually dated one another. And last Sunday, you heard about Tracy and my, our first uh, date. It was a group date. We went to Berkeley. We had pizza. We had ice cream. We decided later on at midnight to go four-wheel driving, all six of us, up into my parents' ranch. And Tracy got out the door on that bridge, and she literally fell through the bridge. She injured her leg. She has a scar on her leg to this very day. And back then, you know, I had to bring her back to my parents' house, turn on the lights, you know, and, and take off her nylons slowly. And I'm like... This girl's amazing, and she's super awesome legs. And in that moment, uh, something took place. And, and you kind of know what I'm talking about, because I moved from, in that moment, attraction to something switched. We crossed this invisible line of actually dating. Dating is this time you begin, you move past attraction, and now you're learning uh, about this person from all sorts of different situations that you encounter with them, and you're learning about their inner self, that you're learning about their beliefs, their goals, their dreams, their desires. And the question that we're studying here is how can you date successfully? And we're really looking at three keys to successful dating. And the Song of Solomon in this section gives us some great principles. If you're going to date, if you're going to do anything in life, you want to do it well. And if you're going to date... You want to do it well. You want to do it so you have success. And you're going to know, need to know these three, key, these three keys if you want to have success in dating. And it's all modeled by Solomon and the Shulamite. Now, last Sunday, we gave you the first two keys. And I want to do a brief overview because they're very important. And the first is this. Successful dating requires time. Time wisely invested. I mean, that's an obvious thing. Dating requires time. The whole point of dating is get to know the other person, and that's going to take time. In chapter 1, verse 9, through chapter 2, verse 7, 
we see this picture of Solomon and the Shulamites spending time together and quality time. And it was very purposeful as well because we noted three points of wisdom about spending time in dating. Dating can be an absolute joy or it can be an absolute flop. If you don't know how to spend time with your dates, you're going to really struggle. And the first thing is this, spend time in appropriate public settings. This is where you start, in, an, in a public setting. And the setting for Solomon and the Shulamite, their first date, it was a picnic. They're out in the open, in full view of public. The cypress and the firs were providing this canopy over them. They were sitting on some sort of a couch. It was just this outdoor setting in a park kind of thing. For Tracy and I, it was in Berkeley, outdoors, with a bunch of friends and that sort of thing. Second, spend time with a no-strings-attached policy. When you study this passage, Solomon and the Shulamite, they're enjoying themselves. There's freedom. There's no pressure. There's no obligation. There should be a no-strings-attached. It's not like you're going steady with this person. You're dating them. The whole point is to get to know them. It shouldn't be obligatory in any sense of the word. And if you begin to date a person exclusively, it's like you've moved from dating into courtship. And you're skipping the whole process of dating. Dating takes time. It begins in public settings. The whole point is you're attracted to this person. and You have level one attraction if you've agreed to a date. What you're trying to get at is do they possess level two attraction? Do they possess the character that's needed for you to continue to date them and possibly move on to courtship? Thirdly, you spend time in post-date evaluation. Dating is a time to evaluate. After every single date, you should evaluate that person. You don't have to evaluate their looks. You already know what they look like, but what do they look like on the inside? The point of dating is, do you want to continue to date this person? So you should always be evaluating uh, two things on that date. You want to hold on and keep dating if they have good character. But if the sirens are going off and you're just like, wow, this person, a gal or a guy, you're dating them and their character starts to be revealed and you're like, this is not a godly character in this person. They have all the outside looks but not on the inside. That's where you say, move on. That's the whole point is to get to know the person. So the second principle for successful dating is this, successful dating requires affirmation equally exchanged. There's got to be this affirmation if you're going to experience a great date. Uh, are you affirming each other equally when you do date? The value of each other, the specialness, the uniqueness of the other person. If you're doing that, then that date is going to be romantic, it's going to be special, complimenting and affirmation is the foundation of romance. And we remember when we studied the Song of Solomon last session in chapter 1, verses 9 through 17, it was filled with these rich, alternating, back and forth, verbal affirmations of Solomon to the Shulamite and the Shulamite to Solomon. They can't say enough about each other, right? And we talked about two ways to affirm in dating. You regard your date highly. And you remember how Solomon regarded the Shulamite and the Shulamite Solomon in chapter 1, like, for example, verses 9 through 10, I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed by one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings. We talked about that. I mean, he's, 
He's affirming her, regarding her highly. And the second way to affirm someone in dating is to respect your date greatly. And remember how they respected one another. Their statements become very, very direct. Like in verse 15, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Then verse 16, how handsome you are, my lover. Oh, how charming. So just a little thought here for married couples. Romance, it deteriorates when you stop dating each other. Romance, even as married couples, it requires wise time spent together. And it requires affirmation mutually exchanged. And this is kind of where we stopped in the last session. Now, before we move on to this third key for successful dating, I want to underscore what happens, because this is so important, what happens when you spend time rightly in dating and when you affirm each other appropriately in dating, when there's regard and respect. I want you to notice what happens when you date in a right way. And by the way, how do you know you are dating in a right way? There are three indicators that you're dating successfully that we see with this couple. Successful dating will always have these three indicators. If you're single or you're married, you have to be evaluating, are we dating rightly? And when these three indicators are like firing, let me tell you, you are dating the right person. When they're not, well, you got issues. Okay, let's talk about these indicators that you're dating rightly. Number one, self-worth skyrockets. Look what she says about herself in chapter 2, verse 1. She says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. This is what she's saying about herself as a result of Solomon dating her. Her view of herself goes through the roof. There are, and these are both singular nouns. Roses and lilies, they don't grow in clumps. They're singular. And she's saying, I am the single most special woman on the face of the earth. And why is she saying that? Because she has received time from Solomon, and she has been regarded highly and respected greatly. This is how a man is to make a woman feel. And ladies, if you're not feeling this from this guy in dating him, do you want to marry that kind of guy? And you need to be thinking about that. I mean, you should be feeling like the queen of the universe. Yes, you should be. Beautiful beyond measure, like a singular rose, like a singular lily. Yes, in dating and in your marriage as well, this is how you should be feeling if you're dating rightly. I don't know if you remember the scene in the movie Jaws. I'm talking about the first movie, Jaws, okay? And, and, and they're in this town hall meeting, and they're trying to, the whole community, identify someone that will go out and kill the shark. And they're all arguing about who it should be and that sort of thing. And finally, this crusty captain, he gets the attention of everyone. Do you remember what he does on the chalkboard, right? He just takes his fingernails and goes, and I mean, everyone's like, you know, creeping out by just the sound of fingernails just over a chalkboard. And everyone cringes. Want to know what makes me cringe? I cringe when a man berates a woman. I cringe when a man has disrespect for any woman of any age. When he doesn't listen to her, when he disregards her, 
when he doesn't compliment her, when he doesn't honor her, when he doesn't admire her. I have, I've met women that have wept in my office as they talk to me about how they feel so dumb and they feel and, and they're they're beautiful. They're smart, they're intelligent, and they feel so dumb and they feel so ugly because of what they experience at home or even in public. Because somehow it makes a man feel better when he can berate and belittle a woman. Usually what happens then is that she will uh, cut him off sexually. I mean, it's hard to blame her. Who wants to give yourself to some disrespectful pig? I'm sorry to put it that way. But that is how women feel when their man treats them this way. Now, I'm speaking to you as men right now, as a pastor who loves you. I pray no one in this room treats women that way. But I need to share with you something. If you do not tell your wife that she is the most special woman on this planet, a singular rose, a singular lily, watch this, the devil will raise up someone else who will. Yes, he will. Someone will tell her she's that. When you date rightly, watch this, self-worth skyrockets. It just does. And this is how she is seeing herself. Ladies, if you're dating someone and your self-worth is just not going up and up and up and up, don't date him anymore. Stop it. I mean, that's lunacy to think that it's going to change. Right at the beginning, if it's like bad, you think it's going to get better? No way. That's showing something about his character. He does not have the character worthy of you being with. Listen how Solomon uses the image of a lily to further affirm here. In chapter 2, verse 2, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. Isn't that beautiful? Solomon is saying, compared to you, all the other maidens, all the other ladies, all the other women, they're like thorns. <laughs> You're the only lily. You are my darling. That's the first indicator you're dating rightly. Self-worth skyrockets for the man and the woman. We're not talking just one way or the other, but this is what we're seeing here is the Shulamite. Her self-worth is skyrocketing. It should be the same for the man and the woman. It's mutual. Second indicator you're dating successfully. Pet names arise. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. Like a lily among the thorns is my what? Darling among the maidens. Solomon calls her his darling. She calls him, watch, she calls him lover 27 times in this book. That's her nickname, her pet name. See, when you're dating rightly, tenderness and beauty, romance, you start to give that person nicknames, pet names. And usually it starts with things like sweetie or honey or baby. I call Tracy beauty. She calls me beast. <laughs> and that's just some of our pet names. We've been married 31 years. I have at least 30 pet names for Tracy, at least, if not 50. Honestly, I do, over the years. Pet names, watch this, they show romance. I mean, if you start calling 
your spouse, blood-sucking pterodactyl, that says something about your relationship. Are you following me? Words reflect the hearts. If he's not affirming you and you're not affirming him with, with words that are just pet names, tender, romantic, you, you got to think about what your future's going to be like. N- notice how she affirms Solomon, chapter 2, verse 3. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. She's saying, Solomon, compared to all the young men in all of the land, you are one in a million. That's what she's saying. It's like walking into a forest, she says. And there's this one tree, this apple tree that stands out among the thousands. And that's you, Solomon. You are that one tree. You are unique. You're special. You're one in a million. Guys, are you hearing that from her? If you're dating and you're not, stop dating. I know I'm being like, but you need to be selective with who you date. You need to date in a smart way. But her admiration from him, it's going up. Guys, you want a girl to admire you, respect you, treat her like a singular queen. She will tell you you are one in the million. She expounds on her admiration to Solomon further. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. I delight to sit in his shade, she says, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. She's saying, Solomon, I feel so safe in your presence, in your shade. That's what she's saying. I know you will protect me. You will watch over me. I'm not afraid to be near you. I trust you. I know you're going to look out for my best. Can you say about this about the guy you're dating? And then she says, his fruit is sweet to my taste. Fruit refers to his character. She is saying, I love who you are. Your character is sweet to my taste. Hey, we eat food. All of us do. Some, you know, food is sour. Some food is bitter. (laughs) Some food is rotten. And she's saying here, your character is sweet. Guys, you want a girl to desire you? Then live out Galatians 5, 22 and and 23. The fruit of the Spirit Be this around a gal, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is a real man. This is how a real man is around a woman. This is his character and what he shows to her. Three indicators that you are dating correctly. You have this self-worth that is skyrocketing. So let me ask you a question. Is this the trajectory? It's not perfect, but are you going up? With self-worth is skyrocketing, pet names are arising. If that is the direction of what you're experiencing in your dating, man, you are on the right track. You're dating the right person. Third indicator, you're dating successfully. Additional dates are agreed upon and desire increases. Uh, Look at chapter 2, verse 4. He has taken me to his banquet hall. Now she's speaking, and his banner over me is love. So this now is their second date. Mutually agreed upon. They're no longer in a picnic. They're no longer just out, you know, in the woods, under the canopy of the trees. Now the location has moved to a banquet hall, okay? They're still in a public place. Notice, they're dating. Not courtship yet. They're dating in a public place. But now the meeting is at the Cheesecake Factory. Now they are at Outback Steakhouse. Are you following me? And notice she says... His banner over me is love. Now, what does that mean? This is really cool. Generals 
on the field would identify their troops with a banner. So you're a general. You've got all these men fighting underneath you, or you're leading them. And this banner would proclaim a statement of ownership. The soldiers would say, hey, we belong to Solomon. We are his troops. We fight under him. His banner over us is love. And what she is saying is really amazing. She is saying this. She's saying, Solomon, you own me. You have won me. Your banner over me is not money. It's not power. It's love. She's saying, I'm totally yours because of your love. I'm at your disposable because of your love. The way you spend time with me, the way you honor me, the way you care for me, the way you listen to me, the way you affirm me, the way you esteem me, the way you protect me, Solomon, the way you provide for me, the way you defer to me. Some of you girls are going, are you kidding me? Yes, this is who you should date. If the guy doesn't have this, don't date him. This is how he should be. Yes, this is God's plan. I am his princess, and you are my prince. I mean, that's what should be happening. Your banner over me is love. This is what we're seeing here. Her desire for him is rising, increasing. It's boiling. Wow. This is what happens in successful dating. And then additional dates are agreed upon. Desire increases. Listen to her desire as it's growing. Chapter 2, verse 5. Strengthen me with raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. This is what she's saying because of his dating her. Now, raisins and apples were considered to Jews as aphrodisiacs because they were full of seeds. And this is a very, very passionate verse, very sensuous. She was saying, I desire you, Solomon. You have won me. And she's saying, I want you. Listen to what she envisions next, chapter 2, verse 6. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. That describes the sexual position. She's saying, because of the way you treat me, I want to be one with you sexually, Solomon. And guess what? God is the one who created those feelings. You think God is looking down going, well, that's kind of weird. That's strange. Why would she be saying that? No, God's saying, awesome, that's how I designed you guys. When someone we are attracted to spends time with us and affirms us and respects us and treats us with honor and wins us, we can't wait to be one with them sexually. That is all of God. Three indicators. You are having a successful date. Self-worth skyrockets. Pet names arise. Additional dates are agreed upon and desire increases. Now let me give you three indicators that romance is alive in your marriage. Married couples. Self-worth skyrockets. Can you say, check, you've been married five years, ten years, twenty, we've been married 31 years. Is self-worth skyrocketing? Absolutely in our marriage. Of course. I, I couldn't imagine anything less. It's just, that's marriage. It, that's the way God wants marriage to be. Second, pet names continue to rise. Is that a check? If, if pet names continue to rise, you're dating rightly. Romance is alive. Thirdly, additional dates continue to be agreed upon. Desire increases. Some of you are like young people up there. We've been married 31 years. Desire continues to increase. I love my wife. 
She loves me. We can't wait to be with each other. Pet names. This is, this is just how it should be. This is God's plan. I'm not lifting us up. I'm not the only couple that's like this. This is what God wants to do. Now, what if that's not the case, Mark? What if that's not the case? I have three words for you. If you're married, and those three things are not true of your marriage, this is your three words. Start dating again. It's as simple as that. The reason those three, three things are not true in your marriage, you stopped dating. It's as simple as that. You say, well, where do I begin? Successful dating requires time wisely invested with your spouse. Two, successful dating requires affirmation, equally exchanged. Start regarding him and her highly. Start affirming each other mutually, greatly. When you do that, watch this. Romance, passion, desire, it's ignited. This is what happens when these, thi these things are exchanged. All right. Let's talk about this at your tables, because you've been kind of quiet. <laughs> what is the greatest thing that you have learned so far about successful dating just from this section so far? What's the, the biggest thing you've learned? Go ahead and talk about that at your tables, then we'll move forward. Okay, we are talking about three keys. Three keys to successful dating. Whether you're single, whether you're married, you need these three keys. Throughout your whole life, you need them. You need to go back to them. Time wisely invested. If you're going to have romance, it's going to require time wisely invested. You're spending time if you're married, but are you spending it wisely? And second, affirmation equally exchanged. Throughout your whole life, you want to marry someone who is able to affirm you. Mutually, you're seeing this in dating, and then it flows into marriage. There's no perfect dating couple. There's no perfect married couple. But these are the things that you ever want to be working on and see go back to and, and continue to grow in. Now, let me give you the third key to successful dating. Successful dating requires restraint mutually agreed upon. Dating requires restraint. Now here I'm talking to those of you who are single. I'm going to kind of talk like a dad to those of you who are single. Okay? Uh, I've had this talk, so to speak, with our three boys. Now watch this. Anything of value requires restraint. If you want a valuable bank account, it's going to require restraint. Restraint is a good thing. It allows you to save up for something that's awesome. When you spend time dating rightly, regarding and respecting a person, watch this. The natural result is that romantic feelings will come alive, and you will want to give yourself to that person, especially when they're treating you like that. This is very powerful stuff that you're hearing right now. Because as a man or a woman, you begin to bring this into relationships, romance, I mean feelings, geared toward intimacy are going to arise. And, and guess what? You've got to shut that down while you are dating. Those feelings toward intimacy. You've got to restrain the natural impulse until you are married. All throughout the scripture, 
We're called to restrain natural impulses. This is simply called self-control. Self-control is a great thing. If you do not have self-control in life, you are going to you're going to destroy, you're going to self-destruct. God is not a killjoy. God is the author, the preserver, the protector of incredible sexual intimacy and fulfillment, but it's designed, and God has designed all this, for sexual fulfillment to be found in marriage, and only in marriage. Scholars have mixed opinions about who's speaking in verse 7, but I want you to look at verse 7. It says this, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Now, let's talk about this. <clears throat> if Solomon is speaking here, uh, Solomon is saying, that feeling that you have, my Shulamite, is good, but it's, waken, it's waiting to be awakened at another day. Not yet. Notice, it's the guy who takes the initiative. The woman right here, she's geared to have sex. Solomon is saying, that is good, but not yet. Tracy and I, we did not have sex with each other until we were married. If I pushed her, she may have said, yeah, let's have sex. Hey, you want the person, but not yet. The timing isn't right. Successful dating requires restraint. So the question becomes, how can a person, young or old, remain sexually pure, especially in our culture. It is so difficult, but this series is about God's best for your life. God's best awaits you, but you have to show self-control. It's not easy, but it is so worth it. So let me give you a couple principles that I see from this text on how you can remain sexually pure. Number one, make a public declaration declaration to remain pure. That's what Solomon is doing. He's making a public statement in chapter 2, verse 7. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. I mean, that is a public statement that he is making. When I was single, I made that public statement. Our three boys, I brought them through a little literal covenant to make that statement. And you have to do the same. It's part of your own self-management if you want God's best. If you don't want God's best, th this isn't the series for you. <laughs> you want God's best, it's going to require you making a statement about your life and the self-control that you're going to manage your life with. The second principle on, you know, I see on how to stay pure if the Shulamite is speaking in verse 7, if this is actually her speaking, and again, we're not sure, this is a powerful statement about her commitment to stay pure before marriage, and she invites the accountability of the daughters of Jerusalem. And she's speaking, imagine this, she's saying, daughters of Jerusalem. So she's talking to, like, her girlfriends. I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And the principle I see there is get accountability to remain pure. Ask a Christian friend, a spiritual leader, to hold you accountable, to check up on you weekly, to check up on you daily if necessary. However you look at verse 7, whether it's Solomon or the Shulamite speaking, successful dating requires restraint mutually agreed upon. Now why? 
why has God set it up where we have to wait until marriage to have sex? And for, for, let me answer it this way. For every negative command we have in the Bible, thou shalt not, okay, all those, there are always two positive reasons why God gives us a negative command. And those positive reasons are this, for your protection and for your provision. Those two words, your protection, your provision. God wants to protect you from all the harm that can come from premarital sex. And believe me, there is a tremendous amount of harm. Spiritually, you will harm yourself because it's sin. You will feel guilty. You'll be distancing yourself from God, from church. Emotionally, you're going to be dealing with all sorts of issues there. Potentially sexually transmitted diseases. Potential pregnancy. All sorts of issues that arise. God wants to protect you from all of that. But most of all, God wants to provide you with an awesome wedding and wedding nights and future. He wants you to have a great marriage. Sex is like a fire. And in the fireplace, it is beautiful and warm and delightful and happiness and joy and fulfillment. But outside of the fireplace, it's incredibly damaging, incredibly destructive. God wants to provide you with an awesome, amazing, beautiful, wonderful wedding night and a great delight in marital sex into the future. And a key part of assuring you of this is mutually agreed upon restraint. Look what the Bible says in Romans 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. You live a sexually immoral life, there's judgment, spiritual. I mean, that, that is, a, and that's, there's many verses that speak about that. Mm. Now, as a pastor, you know, I've had many couples that will come to me. I've done well over 300 weddings, and they'll come up to me uh, and just ask me to do their wedding. I go, absolutely, I'd love to. Let's meet. And we talk, and I, I learn, what's the date? And tell me a little bit. And I find out they're living with each other. I find out maybe they're sleeping with each other. And then I kind of have to talk with them. I just say this. I love you guys. I want to do your wedding, but I only do it under two conditions. Number one is you repent of your sin, of sleeping with, with each other, which is six, sexual immorality. You repent of it. You realize that it's sin. And number two, that you commit to stay pure before your wedding. If you do those two things, I'm happy to marry you. And usually always they go, yes, of, of course. And then the reason why I say that is I love you. I want God's best for your life. I really do. God wants your, his best for you as well. And so confess your sin. Get the right track record going, and then let's move forward. You know that people who live together before marriage, there is a 50% higher divorce rate for those couples. You get that? Do you want your, your marriage to end in divorce? Marriage is very difficult as it is. But here, here's the thing. If you can't honor God with self-control before you are married, and here you are sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, what makes you think you're going to honor God after you're married? I mean, you can't do it before you're married. So then you're going to get married, and then you're going to really trust your spouse, your husband or wife, when you're gone for a week that they're not sleeping around on you? You couldn't show self-control before you were married with each other. 
What kind of assurance do you have? I mean, there are so many reasons to stay sexually pure before marriage and not sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend when you're dating. Use dating to evaluate the character of that person, to see if they're going to be a great person. If a guy or a gal is wanting to, you know, just sleep with you, wow, run from them. Run from them. Because what they're going to do in marriage, most likely, they're going to sleep around. Because they're showing you right now they want to sleep around. I mean, that, those are, I know, you just got to be thinking about this as a young person. Big time. If you want, you want God's best. Do you want God's best for your romantic life? These are the things to think through. Now listen to this amazing verse, because this is so good. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I love that. You see that word all? Isn't that awesome? You know, one day they baptized Sam Houston. He was the governor of Texas who led a very immoral life. And they said, Sam, your sins are washed away. And he said, God help the fish. <laughs> that, you know, that's how many of us feel. Let's be honest. I mean, some of you right now are just, you know, you're, you're just, I'm not preaching at you. I'm not bringing down. God loves you. I love you. But I am trying to wake some of you up. On the way here today, I'm just praying. I was Tracy and I in the car praying, just saying, Lord, touch some of these single people. Give them a vision for what God wants them to experience. None of us is perfect. Romans 3.23 says all of sin. I mean, that's why Jesus died for us. He died for what we could not do, to give us the desire to do what we ought to do. That's Christianity. That's Christianity. No matter how dirty you've been, Jesus, he can wash you clean. Isaiah 1.18, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they can be white as snow. Wow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. God wants to bless anyone who would follow his way with his cleansing power and a wonderful marriage. Proverbs 5.19, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer, May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Can I say this to you? <laughs> Our wedding night was awesome. I'm going to tell you about it in a future message. I am. Well, maybe not every detail. You may not want to miss, but Solomon and the Shulamite are going to expose their wedding night in a way that is far beyond what I'm going to share about ours. But I want you to hear some. Our wedding night was awesome. You want to know why? We did it God's way. <laughs> Not perfect, but God's way. It's beautiful. Young person sees this. It's precious. It's so precious and so good. Three guidelines for successful dating. It requires time wisely spent. Affirmation equally exchanged. And restraint mutually agreed upon. This is the kind of person you want to date. You get around them and it's like time. Really well spent with them. 
You're affirming each other. And there's restraint that that guy and that gal is showing you in this area of sexuality because they're looking to the future for God's best for marriage. That's what you want. If you're dating someone and those three things aren't happening, stop dating them (laughs) if you want God's best. If you want the world's whatever, well, I guess that's what you're choosing. And it'll end in heartache and brokenness because that's what the world does. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. You might have it abundantly. I want you to have that life. That's why I'm preaching this series. Thief doesn't want you to have that. What are you, what's your choice going to be? <laughs> what are you going to do? Married couples, romance, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Start dating again. We haven't even got into anything really here in marriage yet. We're still going to do two more weeks in courtship. And then we're going to talk about the wedding. Then we're going to talk about all sorts of amazing things. But let me tell you, the foundation for romance, keep dating. Keep dating. Let's pray. Lord, I I think of this statement by John Maxwell where he says you can't go back and make a brand new start, but you can start from now and make a brand new end. Thank you, Lord, that you always take us right where we're at. And if we're willing, yeah, we can't go back, but we can start right now and make a brand new end. So, Lord, I, I thank you for this example of Solomon and the Shulamite. I thank you that Lord, we can come to you. We can confess our sins, and you promise to wash all our sins away. There's not a one of us here who hasn't sinned, Lord. All of us blow it. But you're such a good God. Help us to grow in this art of successful dating, Lord. It requires time wisely invested, affirmation equally exchanged, restraint agreed upon. And, Lord, you use dating to bring us to the person we're going to eventually marry. And once we're married, you use dating to keep our romance alive. So I want to invite you right now to just bring to the Lord the prayer of your heart in light of this message. Take a moment and quietly talk to the God who loves you and has an awesome plan for your life of romance. Whether you're married, whether you're single, would you talk to God right now? Just from your heart, take a moment. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. I think you're a God who redeems, you restores, you heal, you forgive. Lord, you give us your grace and your strength to move forward in your plan for your best for our romantic relationships. Thank you for this session. Thank you for this time that we've had with you, for these prayers. I pray you'd answer each one for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.